Welcome to the ED Clinics podcast. My name is James Woolidge and I'll be your host for this series where we'll be discussing everything to do with shockwave therapy and men's health conditions. That's everything from erectile dysfunction through to chronic pelvic pain syndrome, Peroni's disease, hard flaccid syndrome, amongst others. We'll be talking to a host of experts from around the world to shed some light on these complex conditions. And we'll also be talking to patients that have been through treatment journeys themselves so you can get a greater understanding of how we can help a broad range of people with these conditions. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us again, Eve. The subject today we're talking about is... um is our approach uh, to treating chronic pelvic pain syndrome. And on the, the podcast before we had uh, your patient kindly give us a, a, his his journey that he's been on with you and that he's doing really well. How, how is he How is he doing now? Because this is now a month or two since we spoke to him. Yeah, so still, um, you know, still maintaining, you know, really good uh, ability to function you know no pain so he hasn't had a relapse or anything but it's still you know he still has to do a lot of self-management side of things as well with regards to the sort of uh, dietary uh, issues and things like that so he's still very much looking after himself as well um, yeah. to try and avoid uh, any kind of trigger that may then you know create this relapse again okay well that's good news um so on on that note, and and with him being a particularly good example of that of the sort of whole approach, I don't like necessarily the word holistic, but our, our holistic approach to the management of these situations. Um, can you just talk us through, you know, the approach we take at ED clinics in terms of you know case history taking and what our approach is for CPPS? Yeah, so I think this is this is really really important because in order to manage these, you know men with those types of conditions well it is really really important that we understand you know everything because we got the physical nature of things but we also got you know the mental health side of things as well because those men can get really really uh depressed so um so it's it's a question for us to kind of deal with that in as much as we can but also we have to understand that we have limitations as well. And this is where often we collaborate with, with psychologists, uh, basically to try and give uh, patients a sort of more overall care management um, you know, package as such, you know, in such that um, you know, we can deal with an awful lot of the physical side of things and to a degree we can coach them and support them. But when a deeper seated rooting things, you know, is, is far better that, you know, psychologists are involved as well. So really, from from my perspective, um, which is not really that dissimilar to, you know, if I were to take a, an NMSK history. So really, I think um, it, it, it's starting off with letting the patient kind of summarize, uh, you know, what their problem is. Um, I think often, you know, patients want to talk, but I think we got to be careful that we don't block their talking too much, you know, and, and really let them, you know, get it off their chest, what they have to say. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes uh, medical professionals, so they don't necessarily get the opportunity to, you know, kind of say what they want to say, because often within the NHS, there are time limitations. I think this is, again, how, where how we long, are. How, how, sorry to interrupt. How long do you give for that initial consultation? Because I am I often get remarks back saying, oh, it's nice to be able to have this time to, to go through everything. How much is your consultation time at the start? Uh, it, it's anything from an hour to an hour and a half. Right. 
Yeah. yeah, and that seems like a long time in in NHS world, doesn't it? It seems well, it seems like completely impossible in NHS world, but in yeah. private world, you, it's it's surprising how often you take up all that time, isn't it? In that first consultation, absolutely, absolutely, because there's so much anxiety associated with the whole condition. Because don't, don't forget, by the time we see these men, you know, most of the time they've been through a whole remit of investigations and. Uh, you know, they might have seen uh, a urologist. Obviously, they will have seen their GP multiple times. They may have gone through gastro. Uh, you know, they, they would have gone through loads of different types of, uh, of investigations. And again, the difficulty often with these men is, is that, I mean, it's a good thing, but most of the time, all those tests tend to be negative. So, you know, so not really being able to have any kind of positive test. Uh, makes it actually a lot, lot, lot harder to deal with uh, because obviously these these men have got a real problem. You know, they have real symptoms, but they've got nothing to show for it, which, you know, doesn't really help with the whole uh, anxiety side of things as well, you know, and, and often, you know, they then become poorly understood, you know, partly, you know, perhaps by, by partners, but also their work environment and all of that. They, you know, it's not something that we, we know a lot about. With chronic low back pain, for instance, I mean, you know, the workplace knows a lot more about chronic back pain and providing a good chair or a sit-to-stand desk. All of those things are really well integrated within our MSK field. But when it comes to urology, it's all a little bit like, well, you know, never heard of this problem before, you know, you must be making it up, you know. Um, so, so yeah, so I tend to obviously, as I say, get, get that, that initial sort of assessment going. We, we're just saying, you know, can you just, you know, summarize to me what your problems are, who yeah. you've been to see, what's been done to date. Then I detail very much all of their symptoms from pain symptoms to um, mapping out, you know, where do they have pain, you know, because sometimes it's not just a pelvic region, they can have back pain, uh, abdominal pain, uh, sometimes referred pain into the legs. So it's trying to work out again, well, you know, from a whole MSK perspective, how much is, is involved. So we map the whole pain area out. Mm. We then look at any other types of um, symptoms to do with the um you know, sort of uh, the, with all the kind of waterworks, let's say, you know, have they got frequency, uh, anything uh, that that is out of the ordinary? Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, uh, they may have issues with ejaculation, you know, from yeah. painful ejaculations to dry ejaculation. So all of those kind of things need to be talked about. And, and obviously these are... Um, you know, sort of subjects that most men don't really want to go into too deeply. But I think it's important from our perspective that that we guide that and that we use the vocabulary which is which is needed to be used. So yeah. we get really good understanding of, of what their symptoms are, but also that it's okay to use all of those words because that's yeah, yeah. that's fine. It's a we create this environment where it's perfectly okay to talk about an erection or an ejaculation or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. And I think um, on, on that note as well, you talked about the area of pain that gets mapped out, but I think a lot of, a lot of the time, depending on whether in that, they're in that younger group that have some maybe associated issues with erectile dysfunction or hard flaccid syndrome, or in the older group, even where they have, which is, you know, we touched upon it. It, it should be the case, particularly with the older 
patient that they do get screened out obviously for prostate disease prostate cancer so forth and some of them they do get treated with antibiotics for classic prostatitis and then the legacy of that is that all the inflammation dies away their psa levels die back but they're left with this is the pain is still the same and then they're told by the urologist that you know the problem's gone away it's the pain is not my issue you know keeping you alive is my issue or making sure you haven't got prostate cancer these poor chaps are and what they often come in with is no one's really ever listened to them about the fact the pain it often then spreads into the testicles into the penis and yeah. and with that younger group giving them sort of changes to the feel of their penis and all these other things which going back again to how you said about that time we give them they're suddenly being able to express all of that and feeling so relieved that they can because they often say, well, I knew where my prostate was. I knew where my pelvic floor was. But why have I got pain in my testicles, in my penis? Even even the tip of the yeah. penis hurts. And there's nowhere near my pelvis. Yeah. And, and suddenly they're into that conversation and that that ability to talk to us about it, which they often feel you know, very therapeutic about, don't they? But absolutely, but there can also be a little bit of confusion, especially if they've sort of been searching the internet quite a lot, because you know, we, we talk about, you know, chronic pelvic pain syndrome, we talk about, um, you know, heart flaccid syndrome, pedaldic, pedendic neuralgia, um, you know, which is sort of an entrapment neuropathy of the of the uh, pedendal nerve. Now, the main problem with a lot of those, or even just prostatitis, is that all of these conditions can have very, very similar symptoms, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and their presentation is not actually that hugely dissimilar. So it can be quite confusing for a lot of men once they start to kind of research everything uh, in that they say, well, you know, I think I, I, I do think I've got pudendal neuralgia as well. And I've got heart flaccid as well. Well, yeah. you, you probably haven't got all of it. Yeah, but there are similarities. And, and this is the big problem, I think, is that this is still a condition that we don't know an awful lot about you know uh you look at the research of heart flaccid and there's not a lot of clinical trials you know or, or a lot of mention in the research so these are all still <clears throat> a lot of areas that we need to gain more knowledge uh and perhaps finding ways of being able to be clearer on mm -hmm. diagnostics in order to you know not necessarily categorize people but being able to strategize better in in how we manage these types of conditions. Yeah. Okay. So we talked we talked we talked about the case history taking there. So for the for the the chaps out there that might see us for this condition, then moving from that into the examination, I know that some men would get particularly anxious about intimate area examinations. Um, and I know for one, there's a few of us in the group um, that use sonography, so we use ultrasound scanning of. Of, for instance, the bladder, if they're having, you know, micturition, which is in multiple or polyuria, multiple efforts of going to the toilet because of tension in the pelvic floor. Um, but but generally speaking, let's say for the chat that we just listened to, what kind of process of examination would you go through with him? So I start, um, again, being an MSK physio, very much doing an MSK assessment. So I look at their, their lower back motions, uh, I uh, look at their hip motions. I look at muscle length, or so the the big muscle groups that attach to the um, to the pelvis. Yeah, um, so I kind of work my way from outwards inwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so looking at any kind of uh, anomalies of, of of the sacroiliac joint, symphysis pubis, anything to do with that side of things. Yeah. yeah. 
There's then also a couple of tests that we can actually do with regards to testing the pelvic floor in itself, uh, right. in such that, you know, there's a, like with any kind of muscle groups, we have slow and fast twitch fibers. So, you know, how quickly are they able to recruit that muscle group? But yeah. then also how long are they capable of sustaining that? So yeah. those are two simple tests that we tend to do uh, in order to be able to identify, well, is there a dysfunction of this pelvic floor yeah. or not? Yeah. yeah. Um, we also run, uh, you know, some specific questionnaires alongside of it as well, obviously dependent on, um, you know, whether there's erectile dysfunction or not. So we may throw a couple of questionnaires in there as well to get an understanding of that side of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, you know, there's also an internal examination that can be done as well. So this is through the anal sphincter. Yeah. yeah. But obviously... Uh, again, the, the way that I tend to look at it is that it's not something that, first of all, I would do with everybody. Mm. Second, you know, it's something that obviously the patient needs to consent about and needs to understand why we do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and most of the time, to be honest, I've done it more once I got to know the patient better and they got a better understanding mm. of exactly what we are trying to actually achieve. Yeah. yeah. And also then actually leads to a certain type of internal manipulation to help to release trigger points and things like that. So, um, so it's something that, you know, I don't tend to do first of all. First of all, it's something that I've to date have always sort of introduced at a later date. Yeah. And how, how do you, obviously, a lot of people come to see us because of the ED Clinics website and us talking about the shockwave aspect um, of that. So, how do you, how do, how does then that progress into uh, getting the patient to understand what you're going to be doing treatment wise for them in the room? We've talked about you might do some you know intra anal work, which is less common than the, the shockwave, which is sort of a standard treatment approach. Everything we build around that. Um, just talk us through how we how we do that. Yes, so um, so it's really just a question of working out well what 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 have we got in front of us? What are our main symptoms? You know, and that's how I normally tend to base myself on, you know, in such that if there is, um, if if pain is the majority of the symptoms, but actually we haven't got you know too many issues with any kind of the erectile function side of it, then obviously the whole treatment becomes more pain reducing. Yeah, so. Uh, in that sense, you know, our shockwave therapy, as we know, is a very good modality to help to reduce pain. But again, the the, the settings and the tolerance side of it, I, I would be a little bit cautious with in such that what you wouldn't want to do is flare patients up. So um, so that would be partly treating the, the shaft of the penis and the perineal area. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, you know, where normally in erectile dysfunction, we tend to just use the uh, treat the crura. Yeah, I actually treat the whole of the perineal area, also trying to actually get to deeper seated areas. And what's quite interesting is that sometimes, you know, I've had a couple of patients who have a little bit of, um, you know, referred pain in the medial side of the thigh, yeah, which almost could look a little bit like uh, a sort of uh, pudendal entrapment. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and basically what, what you can sometimes do with the shockwave is to reproduce those symptoms. Yeah. 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 Uh, and again, I'm from a therapist, sorry, from a therapist perspective, it's amazing to do that because people go, yes, that's it. That's, that's my, my pain. pain. 
I've, I, I used it, I was just about to say, as a diagnostic tool almost at the start. We know how Focus Shockwave is really good for that. Mm. And, you know, in those patients where they've had referred pain up through into the penis, and in fact, this one chap had it actually just on the tip of the penis mm. and nothing between there and the pelvic floor. And I must admit that was quite unusual as a referred pain. Yeah. Um, there was a there was a particular part, and I'd, I'd done some manual palpatory work seeing if i could feel anything through the pelvic floor and so forth but nothing and then with the depth that the, the penetration gives you with the, with the focus i've managed to hit a bit you know high up between his crura and it, it just completely reproduced his symptoms and then we went into treatment and then got rid of his symptoms so it, it got rid of that referred pain which i think is the real skill of focus shockwave in particular getting those bits you can't get to necessarily um with your fingers and i, I would say that to a couple of patients that I think there is an option, I think, that patients that might be fearful of doing the PR, the, the intra-anal work, that we can use perhaps sometimes focus shockwave to sub, to not have to do that because we can get as deep almost with the shockwave as we can with the with a digit trying to search for those areas within the pelvic floor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's that's the nice thing to have those options, isn't it? You yeah. Know, yeah, yeah if, if you feel that things are going well with the shockwave, then there's no need to do the internal stuff. Yeah. So it's patient choice as well, you know. So yeah. it, it it does allow us to just have a couple of extra tools. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And we know that that obviously with um with our with our shockwave we can get up to you know sort of twelve centimeters. So there's no doubt that we can affect those pelvic floor muscles. Yeah. 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 And then in in between those moments of the the, the treatment time in the room. You've obviously, as as your patient was describing on the previous podcast, we, we're giving them support in terms of not only perhaps working on the endurance strength of their pelvic floor, but quite a lot in these cases, trying to relax their pelvic floor because they they often become too tight in a way. And I think right. that sometimes trying to explain to patients how, look, you know, we can look at the pelvic floor like any muscle that's got itself in a particularly tight, dysfunctional situation where these things like might explain trigger points to patients and things like that to try and get them to understand that they're just referred pains traveling everywhere that you might get from your back or your shoulder or whatever else and make it as simple as I can, you know, cause my brain's pretty simple, but um, so, you know, that, that sort of stuff we, we also give don't, don't we as well in terms of their pelvic floor rehab. That's right. So, uh, you know, simple self-management strategies as, you know, deep abdominal breathing exercises in different positions. So, so the way that I kind of structure it is that, so again, normally for my kind of ED patients, I, I tend to take half an hour treatment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which I'm perfectly happy to be able to do a treatment in that time and, and not having to rush things for the CPPS patients. I, I tend to take 45 minutes, sometimes an hour purely because I want to educate them on certain things to do. So, you know, teaching them the, the deep abdominal breathing exercises in different positions, yeah. um, you know, also moving on to doing sort of reverse Kegels. They've often heard of Kegels, you know, and really tightening things up. Yeah. But actually, it's just trying to get them to understand is that actually we need to do the opposite. It's about relaxing that. Yeah. Um, I then tend to also, uh, from um, the work that Joe Milios has done, you know, I, I, I tend to use some of her yoga poses, yeah, right, to help right. some of the stretches, yeah, right. um, uh, you know, just to try and influence those bigger muscle groups. Uh, I identify certain trigger points, either in the abdomen or in the adductors, uh, which again, 
Um, they do a lot of self-treatment and self-trigger pointing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, because, you know, the, the advantage often is when patients feel those things is that, you know, if, if you feel a trigger point, you know, as a person that it's painful. We, we only listen to the patient and get them to tell us, oh, yeah, that hurts or it doesn't hurt. But obviously, from the patient perspective, it is quite strong that yeah. um, you can try and do this treatment themselves. Yeah. 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 Um, so each thing is kind of built up a little bit. That each time when they come in, it's not just about the shockwave, but we just teach them all these other bits, you know, as we as we go along yeah. uh, on, you know, what they what they can do. Other other things, obviously, to consider is to work out what what the triggers are as well. So, uh, like, for instance, in Kevin's case, it was hugely dietary related. Yeah. Mm. Um, so. You know, he 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 did very very well in in trying to be very very specific about understanding what specifically triggered uh, any of his flare ups. Mm. Um, but it but he was quite interesting from a point of view as well that once once he started to do the deep breathing exercises, like you know he he might he would go to the toilet and then be like in agony for twenty minutes. Mm. Yeah, but. You know, he knew that he could get himself into a position, yeah, and that twenty minutes reduced to like four or five minutes. Right now, that that was hugely powerful because he hadn't had anything; mm. he was just riding it out before. Where suddenly he became more empowered that he goes, "Okay, well, if I do this, mm. that's the result that I get in return for it." And basically, what the whole of the sort of sensory side of it and the whole you know, pain system started to calm down purely because you had means of getting on top of it. You know, when I first saw him, you know, the pain was in control of him. He was yeah. not in control. Um, yeah. and, and and that's what, you know, he was a, a completely different person by the time we'd finished, purely because he gained control over his life. Yeah, he was pretty good at getting that across, actually, that aspect of control, wasn't he? Pretty impressive yeah. stuff. Um, and then that you know what we're trying to achieve obviously is ed clinics is that i mean how many you know um how many clinics are there now within the group i think we got 14 so we're trying to you know as as patients that are listening to this perhaps thinking about where they're going to go around the country what we are trying to do is make sure that the the story they're hearing from us now is replicated amongst all the clinics and they should have the confidence of knowing um that you know the the approach is pretty similar if not exactly the same as what we've been discussing that's that that's our hope is that we can create um this evidence based you know sort of data driven approach to these conditions um across the board so that everywhere they go they hopefully get the same same as what yeah. we're talking about um and i think that this is quite quite good because most of us i wouldn't say most of us but all of us are quite driven by making sure that we, we're all clinicians that want to work holistically. So yeah. I don't think it sits, it sits well with anybody to mm. just kind of, let's call it point and shoot. Yes. Uh, I, think, I think I think as therapists, we all want more. We all want to treat the, a person rather than a condition. Uh, yeah. and, and for that reason, I think, um, you know, all of us have been doing extra training uh, in order to get much better understanding of all the adjuncts, yeah. you know, and the shockwave is only part of that. 
And I think as, as you all testify, I'm sure when we get together occasionally to have conferences and meetings and so forth, I think a part of that drive you just touched upon um, is is that we all recognise that where we came from is musculoskeletal back pain, whatever else we used to do. And now we're treating these men's health conditions. We all pretty much say the same. Is It's now become the most rewarding and interesting part of our daily life. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's probably why we're very keen to just say, look, it's fine. If you want an hour, we'll give you an hour because actually helping these patients, um, a part of which I think is probably still because the NHS is struggling post-COVID to deal with these patients and give them an adequate amount of time. And just that time aspect, uh, I can think of one patient I saw where uh, he was a young chap, but I only saw him twice. And just the time, the description of why he was suffering, what he was suffering, a few simple home exercises and tactics. And um, I didn't actually even need to treat him with shockwave through. He was he was done. But it, it still took two hours over two sessions. Um, but it was that was I I'll probably remember him a long time. He came with his mum, bless him. Um, it, was, it was it was it was lovely being able to get him back to a normal life pretty good um on that note i think we're probably gonna we're trying to keep these short and succinct otherwise people will get bored of us waffling on um so thanks for that eve um and no doubt we'll come back again and talk about another topic at some point in men's health yeah absolutely bye, yeah, bye. Ladies. cheers mate bye-bye